Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We thank you for your love and grace. We ask that you would bless us tonight as we study your word. Lord, that you would strengthen us, encourage us, and give us that which we need to continue serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Fine, if you would. And we're just going to take a few moments and review just a little bit here and then get into our text. If you want to be turning there, turn to Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. Yeah, it is kind of a letdown to hear Brother Sam preach all those wonderful sermons, and then uh, I've got to follow him in the pulpit, but uh, uh, we'll just uh, trust and ask the Lord to bless. But uh, Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, probably uh, as far as a passage taken together, some uh, of the very most misunderstood verses in our Bible Uh, as people try to understand what rest really is. And one uh, just little note that you might want to just stick in your mind to think of is rest and grace go together very, very closely. Uh, There there is a connection. Uh, We will show that tonight as we go through. But we have been talking about the Old Testament tabernacle. We have seen the person of God the Father revealed in the tabernacle, God the Son, uh, God the Holy Spirit. We've seen the work of God as it is portrayed there, the fact that God wants us as sinful man to be able to approach to a holy God. God wants our worship. And if you really want to get a hold of one of the reasons why the devil does some of the things that he does. And the greatest evil the devil does is not in the nightclubs, is not in the bar rooms, is not in, uh, what's that guy's name, Dawkins or whatever, Hawkins was his name. Uh, people like that and uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the man Huxley who used to walk around and put his pocket watch on a on a podium and and dare God to kill him for 60 seconds while the audience gasped at his cursing in God and all of those things. And yet, I'll tell you today, little girls walking up and down the sidewalks in Astoria speak worse of God and to God than Mr. Huxley did in front of those shocked audiences in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, etc., as he... Uh, pillaged his tripe and and, uh, tried to sell it and all of those things. But we want to understand one thing. God is interested in man approaching him. But the tabernacle, if it teaches us anything, it teaches us that we must be careful in how we approach God. Uh, we cannot just walk in. He, uh, Brother Davison, one of his messages alluded to that. He is, he, he is not uh, uh, your friend, your buddy, your uh, uh, the the one that takes the cake. Is Jesus is my homie? I saw that on a shirt somewhere, and I just went. Uh, I'm going the other way. I, I'm not going to walk past that guy. Uh, because I'll say something, and, and it probably won't be in the spirit. It will be in the flesh. Uh, 
But it is so infinitely terrible how men degradate God. The Bible says in Romans 1 that man desires to remake God in his own image. And so we need to understand that there are no other alternatives. I would hope and pray the reason you are here in church tonight is because you care enough about God and what He thinks to obey His words. Uh, The Bible is very clear that as a church, we're to assemble together. Amen? And, And this is the key. To disobey God's protocol, to improve or to innovate on God's plan in the tabernacle. I mean, we've been through the verses. This was to bring about certain death. In fact, on many occasions, Aaron and his sons were warned, if you step out of line, you're going to cause the nation of Israel to step out of line, and God will judge the entire nation if you are not careful with the charge God has given you with pre, as being priests. And, of course, we can make great application. How many people run around today saying they believe in Jesus and doing and being things that the world is totally cool with? Not the God of the Bible. Do you realize that the high priest who was in charge, who was the one that testified to uh, Pontius Pilate, the one who was pulling the strings and hiring through his agents the false uh, uh, witnesses to testify against Jesus, was still trying to follow temple protocol in all that he did. He was washing at the laver. It was his job to sprinkle the blood not on the mercy seat. There was no mercy seat in the second temple. It was a white marble slab. But on the Day of Atonement, he would sprinkle the blood in there, just like it was said in Leviticus chapter 16, he followed all of those rituals as much as he possibly could. And even in the Jewish community today, the Jewish people still celebrate Passover. They, they do not do it the Bible way. There is no lamb. There's no temple to sacrifice the lamb. Uh, they're allowed to eat. Uh, almost any meat on that's kosher, of course, uh, within Jewish dietary laws, except on Passover they cannot eat lamb. Because without the temple to sanctify the lamb, they cannot eat lamb on Passover. They'll have a lamb shank or a lamb bone on the table and... uh, Many Christians have come by saying, you see that lamb bone on the Seder table? That pictures the finished work of Jesus Christ. Well, the problem is there are no bones in Jesus' tomb. Amen? He is risen. 
And so be careful reading into things that man has invented. Uh, I love to preach out a picture and type in the Bible, and we'll be doing that some tonight. But we need to understand that there is no other God but the God of the Bible. Amen? And that if we're going to approach that God, we have to do it His way, not our way. Amen? In the Old Testament, the way to do that was through the tabernacle. Amen? God said, I will meet you at the mercy seat. There's some problems, though. And we want to look at those. And what we're trying to do is understand what the Bible is trying to teach us about God's grace in the tabernacle and how it actually worked in the national life of Israel. Now, I don't have references for everything here. Most of it is understood. We have covered it and will cover it very in the next coming months in our Through the Bible time. But... Let me ask you a question. Were the children of Israel, for the most part, we understand there were exceptions, but for the most part, as in that first year that they were camped out at the foot of Mount Sinai, after they got rid of the golden calf and and before Dathan and Abiram, we have a period there where the nation of Israel were following the protocols, the ceremonies, the directions that were spelled out in God's Word. Are we all together on that? But how many of them entered the land of promise? How many of them fell short? Dathan and Abiram hadn't happened yet, was going to. The sons of Korah, 250 men who were of the Levites, but decided that they should be of the priest, also died Because they stood before God and said, we can be priests too. God said, nope, not going to happen. You see, you can do the right things and not have the right heart, and it doesn't count. God will still judge you. Is that not a theme all the way through the Bible? is God doesn't look on the outward appearance, He looks on the heart. But today we have people that say, yep, God doesn't look on the outward appearance, so I'll just serve the Lord the best way I can. Uh, Excuse me, if it's right on the inside, it's got to be right on the outside. Amen? Amen? But just because it's right on the outside doesn't necessarily mean that it's right on the inside. But then we have the opposite problem happening. How about during the 70 years of captivity after Nebuchadnezzar's army destroyed the city of Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, is gone. Uh, The candlestick is Uh, They actually found an inscription somewhere in the cities of Babylon showing them carrying the ten candlesticks out of Solomon's temple. Uh, There were ten in Solomon's temple, not just the one. And uh, 
But there's nothing depicting the Ark of the Covenant. No one knows where that is, not even Indiana Jones. Amen? Uh, I have to give him an honorable mention. I mean, the author tried hard, but it's, it's not Bible. It's just, uh, it's like the, um, all that series about Jesus coming back that they did. Uh, it, it may be good entertainment, but it has nothing to do with the Bible. Just leave it alone. Um, we don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is, and therefore we have no idea where the mercy seat is. Many people have made many conjectures. In fact, one fellow named Grant Jeffries has written an entire article about how that the Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia, in a temple there that was, and a fake Ark was substituted during the reign of Solomon when he went back when he went bad and started worshiping other gods by a very faithful Ethiopian. Now, uh, if King Uzziah got leprosy from just walking into the temple to offer incense, what do you think God would have done to some Ethiopian guy and a couple of his servants who tried to switch the Ark of the Covenant and carry the mercy seat to Ethiopia? Uh, uh, let me tell you, uh, not going to happen. But I will remind you about this. How many of you remember the Infitata, where all the Palestinians had a general uprising and just threw rocks and did whatever they could? The trigger for, for the, the worst one was there began rumors through the city of Jerusalem that they were going to start exploring the caverns under the Temple Mount and that the Jews were looking for the Ark of the Covenant, and the Arabic world went mad. Because if they find that Ark, it proves everything in the Bible is true, and the Quran must be a lie. Did I say that right? I'm seeing some people smile. So, let me tell you, what did the children of Israel do? without the Ark of the Covenant, without the mercy seat to sprinkle the blood on, without the temple, without the sacrifices. I've met people, and we covered this when we went through dispensationalism a little while back, is they said, well, the salvation is in the temple worship, and if you're going to be saved, you have to take the sacrifices to Jerusalem. Well, what did Daniel do? He was captured, taken captive out of the city of Jerusalem. He, he may have been as old as 10 or 12 years old. Uh, our best understanding was that he was uh, a young man, old enough to be recognized as uh, to have some education and some ability. But he was trained in the courts of the Chaldeans. He never once again set foot in Jerusalem. Did Daniel go to hell because there was no temple and no sacrifice? How absurd. The Bible's very clear that Daniel was one who was much loved of the Lord, specially loved of God. God gave him revelation and understanding of things that you and I are still trying to figure out that have not yet happened. Well, what about the second temple? I mean, 70 years of captivity is rubble. 
and Shethiel and all of those men went back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. They relit the fire on the brazen altar. Uh, they uh, 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 put the temple back in operation again without the mercy seat, without the Ark of the Covenant. And by the time we get to the days when Jesus walked the face of the earth, the high priestly family, the direct descendants of Aaron, had intermarried into the family of Herod, the Maccabees. They had totally profaned their office and their history. And yet, You remember what Paul said when he corrected the high priest by mistake for saying things that weren't in the law of God? He said, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for the Bible says, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy brethren. These people did not believe in angels. They did not believe in spirits. They did not believe in anything they could not see. We would call them heretics today, agnostics. Their only religion was what they could see and handle with their hands. Worse than most of the Protestants that we deal with today. And yet, they still sprinkled the blood on the marble slab in the temple that Herod had built up over the temple of Zerubbabel. And we have Zacharias, who was a priest, offering uh, prayers and, and incense on the golden altar, and God heard and accepted his prayers. Do you, do you understand the point that when we talk about the worship of God, there are people who will do the right things and fulfill all the letters of the law and still not be accepted by God as the children of Israel were in the wilderness? Uh, There will be people who cannot and did not do all of the things that the Bible required and God still was merciful to them and still saved them. So the issue of worshiping God is not the tabernacle. It's got to be something else. It wasn't the temple. It's got to be something else. And of course, we know what that something else is. Faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Talking about God. How is our faith manifested? Our faith is manifested in hearing and obeying the Word of God. Amen. So what happens to all the people from 70 A.D.? The temple is destroyed. Uh, There is no way for anything to happen that, according to the Scriptures, people are doing the best they can. But the best you can has never, ever been good enough. And so tonight, what I want us to, first of all, is attack a few false assumptions. The first one needs to be dealt with is God is finished with Israel and has rejected them as his chosen people. If you hear someone say that, 
You need to understand something. This is someone who has a problem with the character and uh, the person of the God of the Bible. The Bible is extremely clear that God hath not, has not cast off his chosen people, Israel. It was the Apostle Paul who says, I wish if it were possible for me to lose my salvation so that the Jewish people could be saved. Uh, there are many prophecies concerning the reconciliation of Israel, and we're not going to take time to go into all those tonight. Uh, another command, another idea that's being floated around is God just wasn't really that serious about his word. Again, anyone who would make that statement has uh, uh, such rudimentary failure in understanding of the word of God that you should not waste your time trying to talk to them. Uh, this is someone who is ignorant on purpose. You have to understand that. Ignorance can be fixed. Uh, stupid can. When you're ignorant on purpose, that cannot be fixed. When you choose, uh, we had two Muslim young men sitting on our stoop about 11.15 the other night. And uh, they were noticeably, and uh, uh, you could smell the liquor as soon as they opened their mouths. And they were sitting there going, oh, you just don't want to sit in here because we're not Christians. I said, no, it's not that at all. In fact, here's a, here's a schedule of the services. Come to church. I said, the problem is my children are right upstairs and they're trying to sleep. And you're making a lot of noise down here. And uh, Philip and I were out there for the next 30 minutes or so trying to give them the gospel, what they would take. Where we finally ended up with was, guys, why are you here in the United States? Why are you living here? And the one that had been kind of negative the whole way through says, because we didn't make money here. I said, that's exactly correct. I said, at least you're being honest about that. I said, how about the word freedom? I said, do you have this kind of freedom in Morocco? I said, Morocco is one of the freest of all Muslim nations. And uh, the one guy said, oh, no, it's terrible over there. And his friend said, no, no, he's right. Morocco is a whole lot better than Afghanistan and all these other countries. I said, that freedom comes from men who took truths from this book called the Bible. I said, if your Quran is so wonderful, why has that never happened with the Quran? That was the end of the conversation, wasn't it? They were out of there. I said, I want you to think about that, guys. You see... God is serious about his words. He is no less serious today than he was when fire came out from before uh, the mercy seat of God, before the Lord, as it says in the scripture, and burnt Nadab and Abihu to crisp. Without touching the priestly garments. Read the story. They were carried out in their garments. God didn't burn the robes, just the men in them. You see... The, the next lie is that 
the church is the new Israel or that the church has somehow uh, uh, taken the rights and the promises to Israel. It's been transferred or uh, the, the church has assimilated Israel or replaced Israel. Anytime you hear somebody saying something like this, you just need to pack your bags and run. You need to get away from them. They're, they're just not following the Bible at all. And one of the most blasphemous, and I've heard so many people say, well, you know, God's original plan was, even many dispensationalists will say this, God's original plan was for Jesus to ride the donkey through the eastern gate, the Jewish people to accept him as God, and that would have been the end of all history. Well, there's only one problem with that. There were prophecies already given in the Bible of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. God's word must always be fulfilled. Be careful just reading after someone. They may be trying to explain something, but they're not explaining it according to the scripture if they violate these simple rules here. You see, and we've already dealt with this, salvation is not in the temple. Never was, never will be, never could be. Salvation is in the person of God. Even the Pharisees who fought against Jesus so vehemently. You remember the story of the man with the palsy? They brought him in and Jesus said first to him what? Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And they were filled with indignation. Who can forgive sins but God only? And Jesus said... That ye may know that the Son of Man hath power to forgive sins. Is it easier to say, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise, take up thy bed, and walk? Jesus was saying, Yes, that is very true. Only God can forgive sins. I am God. And here's how I'm going to prove it to you. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. You see... We need to understand something. The Old Testament tabernacle is there to teach us. But none of these things that people think that the Old Testament tabernacle teaches. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. It's not there. God is not finished with Israel. He has not rejected them. He has not replaced them. God is no less serious about every commandment in the Bible than he was the day on Mount Sinai when he gave them. And the church does not replace Israel, is, uh, is part of God's plan for this present age. And to one day in the future, we will have Israel, we will have the church, we will have the tribulation saints, each differentiated as different groups of people, not because they're saved different ways, but because of different characteristics, time periods, and the amount of revelation that they possess from God. Are we all clear on that? Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. Wherefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who is faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. 
For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath, hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as the Son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath. They shall not enter into my rest. Now, if you're together here, you understand that the author of Hebrews is making a connection here between Moses, the giver of the law, the prophet of God, and Jesus, who is God, helping us to understand that the things of Moses teach us about Jesus. We still together? Good. The things of Moses only teach us about Jesus. In fact, he's quoting Psalm 95, and it says, There remaineth therefore a rest unto the children of Israel. And I, I have tried to preach on this on many occasions. It's one of those subjects like joy. Uh, and no matter how hard I preach, how hard I study, no matter what I say, I just feel like I haven't scratched the surface. Rest. It's the same thing. We, we do not get it. We are programmed. We are influenced by everything about us that we have to do something. Well, we do. It's called rest. And what is rest? is when you are not doing anything. You know, many people lay down and they try to go to sleep and their eyes close, but they do not rest. Because the burdens, the guilt, the things that are going on in their lives, things people have done to them, things they have done to people, are, keep their mind active. I mean, that, that is one of the signs of emotional instability when a person cannot sleep for days at a time. And so what do they do? They give you drugs. And they close your eyes, but they can't shut off your brain. Rest is something that we often talk about, but we seldom ever get. Amen? Uh, it says in that next verse where we pick up there. And I want you to remember, we're talking about overall the work of God's grace, how the tabernacle teaches us about God's grace. In verse 12, it says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Now, we don't have time for this, but read Philippians chapter 3. How do you hold steadfast to the end? Paul says, I'm trying to apprehend that which has already apprehended me. I'm trying to get my mind and my body in agreement with the spiritual truth that Jesus Christ, the moment I trusted him as a Savior, as a 12-year-old boy, that he is holding me. That's what the Bible says. Now, my mind tells me i got to do things. And my mind tells me when I fail that i got to do things to pay for the wrong things that I've done. How many of you have struggled with this? Every one of you have. It's part of our existence. It's our human nature. The tabernacle teaches us. Hey, the priests didn't lose their salvation when Nebuchadnezzar's armies destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Aren't you glad about that? It's not about what we can do. It's about what God has done. And we go through the rest of chapter 3 here, and it simply tells us that today, verse 15, If ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. Not everyone failed. But you read the Bible sometimes and you listen to us preachers sometimes. If we're not careful, it sounds like everybody failed. An entire generation was lost. Uh, Not Joshua and not Caleb and not their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. Amen? It seems like Everybody is doing the wrong thing today. Doesn't it feel that way? Well, how about you be the exception? Amen? That, that's what it's talking about here. And it says, verse 17, But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom he sware that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Verse 1, chapter 4, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left whom? Us. Of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. I've dealt with many people over the years that have been believers in baptismal regeneration. That you must mix the faith in Jesus Christ with the water and the baptistry. And uh, I'll I'll tell you what. uh, It reminds me of a trip I made to Starbucks a while back. 
and the person had put the espresso machine on the clean cycle. And all I got was water with the littlest, teeniest bit of something in there that wasn't coffee. It was left over from the last time. Uh, that was really sick. And I went back and tried to explain it, and the person didn't get it. And they said, this, and I just left it on the counter and walked out. I mean, it was terrible. But that's the way a lot of people is with their relationship with God. There's nothing to it. I love hot water thoroughly and properly mixed with fine ground espresso. Amen? That's good. And if your life is not thoroughly mixed with faith, if your understanding of the Scripture here is not mixed with faith, it doesn't work. And so we... uh, Continue through this here. And we find here in these first five verses that there is a struggle that we have to enter into. How is that struggle maintained? How, how do we struggle to enter into God's rest? And, and I, I like reminding you the Bible explains itself. The answers are there. And, and so we're going to just pick up our, our reading here in, in verse 6. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Verse 8, For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Here's the key verse, verse 10. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. This is how rest looks like. What did God do when he created the heavens and the earth? In six literal days... He created everything that is, and on the seventh day, He rested. He didn't create anything on the seventh day. He didn't tweak anything. He he didn't say the the fire and the sun needs to be tuned just a little bit here to make it run more. Everything that God made was good. It was perfect. It could not be made better. Do you understand when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you believe on Him the Bible way, your salvation cannot be any better or more complete than it already is. The entire world and false religion teaches that you need to keep working and keep attaining and keep trying until you gain this thing called salvation. That The Bible says that's not possible. Just as in the Old Testament tabernacle, later on in the temple, the priest could not obtain salvation by fulfilling the sacrifices and the ceremonies in the temple because if he had, read later in the book of Hebrews, then he would have had to stop offering the sacrifices. Otherwise, it would no longer have been faith. 
That's why you can't pray for Jesus to save you every day. That's not faith. Are we together? We're almost done. God stopped working. He rested. He did nothing on the seventh day. How many of you like doing nothing? Oh, man. That is my favorite thing to do. Well, wait a minute. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about trying to earn your salvation. There is nothing you can do to make yourself more a recipient of the grace of God. You have to simply believe what Jesus said. Then we have some verses that further uh, explain this here. In verse 11, it says, Let us labor. We've got to work, therefore, to enter into that rest. We've got to work to do nothing. We've got to work against our human nature to stop us from trying to finish something Jesus already finished. That's what we got to do. Here is the tool. Here's the answer. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the abiding of sunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, many times over the years I've dealt with people who have doubted their salvation, have had questions about this, and there's only one place I can send you. Right back here to the book. You and I can be such good liars that we will believe our own lies. It happens. Now, there's nothing good about lying. Uh, it's one of those, it's like good poison. I mean, it just, there's no such thing. It's, uh, and we have to have something to protect ourselves. How many of you were sincerely involved in false religion before you got saved the Bible way? That you went and you did what they told you to do and you really believed in these things that they told you. They say that Martin Luther believed what the Roman Catholic Church said about when the prayer prayed, when the priest prayed the prayer over the wafer, that it actually transformed into the body of Jesus Christ. And and it says he would tremble as he handled God. And that was supposed to somehow be good? No. How superstitious can you get? Only God is good. And God does not need me and you to handle Him. He finished that work on the cross. We've got to have the Bible to protect us from ourselves and from our own minds and from our own failures. And we come up with the uh, most incredible excuses. Well, I, I know God can forgive me, but 
But I could never forgive myself. And I'm just wondering, come on now. Let's, let's get rid of the... Uh, you may be a bad sinner. The Bible says we're all bad sinners. But you're no worse than anybody else. Don't, don't give me that. It's just an excuse for refusing to believe in God. That's just an excuse for refusing to let this book do the work that it's supposed to do in our hearts and minds. You see, it says here, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There are no exceptions. The answer is in the character and purpose of God. The next verse, seeing we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Would you just simply let the Bible be the Bible and refuse to make Jesus any less than whom the Bible says that he is? I I tried in vain to get that young Muslim man to understand that What you say about Jesus and what this book called the Bible says about Jesus are two entirely different things. Mutually exclusive. Jesus cannot be the greatest prophet, but not God, and be God at the same time. You've got to make a choice. If he is God, then he is the greatest prophet. If he is God, he's the greatest of everything. Uh, There is no question there. But if he's not God, then this book is a lie. But Jesus still loves me. Read Romans 5, 20, 21, 6, 1, and 2. His grace is above and greater than my sin. I love that hymn. A grace greater than our sin. Amen? And we need to understand. When I accept God's grace... What am I doing? I'm ceasing from my works. And I'm trusting in His. Rest. That's why the Bible says, Come boldly to the throne of grace. That's God's throne. What are we trying to obtain? Mercy. Uh, Where would we get mercy at? The mercy seat. Uh, That was in the tabernacle, wasn't it? That was in the first temple. That was the picture. We come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. God saves those who have faith in God and in His Word. The answer is in God's Word. It's in the person and the character of Jesus Christ. It's in the finished work. It's in in the answers to prayer. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. You see, the tabernacle, it was on purpose. God allowed the tabernacle to be destroyed and disused. It was on purpose. He allowed the temple to be desecrated and destroyed. It was on purpose that there was no mercy seat in the second temple. It was to show in every 
behavior of man toward the things of God that God never changed. And that God's mercy still saves us. And that we can only have salvation by believing in God. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, my prayer is that each one of us would understand the great, incredible truth of your love and your mercy. And Lord, that it is not of our works, it is of your works. All we have to do is believe. And the reason why people can't believe is they're still holding on to works. They're still holding on to things. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would strive to enter into that rest. And Lord, that we would never leave that rest. But we would hold fast that profession of it is finished. Just as creation was finished and God hallowed the Sabbath, so salvation is finished and hallowed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Lord, even when we break down and when things fail that we can hold in our hands and do in obedience to you, your grace still abounds, your mercy is still everlasting. And we can find that grace to help in time of need. We ask that you would work in our hearts, Lord. That we would surrender ourselves to you and to your word. And that the world in which we live would see a difference that only Jesus can make. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, the piano will play. If you need to come and pray, the altar is open.